and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us on this snowy Thursday right before Christmas. It's always great to get up this time of year, look out the window, and see that blanket of snow on everything. It really does get you in the holiday mood, and we really need that this year, especially given all the hardship we have all endured. So enjoy the snow, and uh, even if you don't have to get out and do it, maybe just take a walk through it. Just get outside and enjoy the weather here in Michigan this time of year. There's big news this week for those of us here in Michigan out of President-elect Joe Biden's transition team. He is expected to announce his pick to run the Energy Department, and it is expected to be former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm. Her relationship with the auto industry and the work she has done on green initiatives since she left office is uh, those are some of the reasons that uh, people see her as perhaps really qualified for this job as the auto industry is going to lead efforts to become less dependent on fossil fuels. But Granholm, who served through an economic and political mess here in Michigan, also has a really complicated legacy as governor, and it is one of the most divisive issues here in the state. One of the, the, the quickest ways to start an argument, I feel like, in Michigan is to either say that Jennifer Granholm was a great governor or to say that she was a terrible governor. So here to talk about her selection as energy secretary is someone who has covered the state capitol through the last four governors. Zach Gorchow is executive editor and publisher of the Gongwer News Service in Lansing. Zach, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to have you here. So you had an interesting reaction when uh, you heard that Granholm was going to be tapped to lead the energy department. You tweeted, whoa. So expand on that. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I hope it didn't come across as pejorative. It wasn't my intent. But, I, I mean, I just, it's a big deal. I, you know, she's going to be the first, uh, you know, person who's been Michigan governor or former governor to go into the cabinet uh, since George Romney. Uh, she's clearly been eyeing this position for quite some time. I, I, she had been... I think pushing to be in in the Obama cabinet didn't happen. Uh, I think most people think had Hillary Clinton won the presidency in 2016, she would have wound up in the cabinet in some way, maybe in in this position. Um, And it's someone, you know, Jennifer Granholm has been kind of outside of government now for the better part of a decade and and played more the role of a political commentator on first current TV no longer exists, but she had a program on there for a while, and and for several years now on CNN, um, you know, more of you know one of the talking heads we see on television. So, in some way, you know, I wasn't surprised to see her likely nominated for this position. She clearly has wanted it, but it also to me felt a little bit like maybe she had had moved on from governance hmm. that you know you know, to see her getting back in the arena. And that way it surprised me. So it was just the totality of all of that is why I, I tweeted, whoa, you know, maybe wow would have been the better word. I don't know. <laughs> right. So, so let's talk about her qualifications for this job. Of course, while she was governor here, she was a real advocate for green policies. Uh, she she uh, wanted to put 
real goals into uh, our 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 uh, into our DNA here in in the state in terms of green goals. Uh, and and she was a real advocate for pushing the auto industry, which of course is our chief uh, manufacturing driver here in in Michigan, to to be part of that. Uh, what are some of the other things though that that make her the the the, the choice for for President Elect Biden here? Well, I mean, I, I you know I don't have any direct insight into their thinking, but you know I think you could say. Um, you know, one of the uh, stronger aspects, but again, it, even on energy, I think her legacy is mixed. But I think one thing you could definitely say is she was a, uh, ahead of the curve on clean energy when it comes to um, policies uh, around the country. Uh, you know, Michigan, I, I, as I recall, was quite ahead of the curve on the idea of requiring utilities to generate a percentage of their energy from renewable sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in 2008, uh, it was you know, Jennifer Granholm who championed uh, what's called the Renewable Portfolio Standard. Uh, at the time, it said that utilities had to generate 10% of their energy from renewable sources. That's now been bumped up uh, since she left office to 15%, and, and the utility, main utilities themselves, Consumers Energy and DTE, have basically said their goal is to get more or less to almost, you know, they want to be in an almost fully renewable posture. They're looking to phase out uh, use of fossil fuels in, in the coming decades. Uh, so I think, you know, when people look at, you know, Jennifer Granholm's policy legacy, that's certainly, I think, one of the, you know, ones you look back on and say, well, yeah, everybody agrees on that now. That was a great idea. Well, you know, at the time, it was, it was a big deal. Um, you know, there, the, uh, the aspect on energy that I don't think worked out as well was, uh, trying to build an advanced battery industry in Michigan. Right. Uh, the state, uh, you know, handed out a lot of very large uh, incentives to try to build that industry at a time when, you know, auto manufacturing was cratering and there was a desperation to try to build a future economy in Michigan. Uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, you know, I, believe, I think most of the companies that uh, were awarded incentives uh, you know, didn't really last. Uh, you know, at, at the time, it, if you could say there was something positive, it added at least a dose of hope at a time of, of real economic hopelessness in the state when the auto industry, uh, you know, two of the three Detroit automakers went into bankruptcy. It was a, a terribly distressing time. I, you might even argue, in some ways, economically more distressing than what what we were facing right now, but it was certainly uh, terrible. But it, you know, bottom line, it, it didn't work out. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't. What what she had hoped would take root didn't. Uh, so, uh, bottom line, though, you know, Governor Granholm, Jennifer Granholm, uh, was a champion of energy. She retooled state government to make energy a bigger piece of uh, what state government does, uh, and it's. You know, no surprise that she'd be very interested uh, in trying to do something at the at a federal level on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Zach Gorchow. He's the executive editor and publisher of the Gongwer News Service in Lansing. What we're talking about is President-elect Joe Biden's expected decision to nominate former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm as his energy secretary. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, I'd love to know what you think of this pick. Do you think it's a good idea to make Jennifer Granholm part of 
the new cabinet in Washington. How do you remember her as governor here? Do you remember her as competent and or effective? Uh, or do you remember her tenure as ineffective or even damaging to the state? Lots of people refer to her tenure as governor here as the lost decade, including former governor uh, Rick, uh, Rick Snyder, who ran uh, for governor talking about uh, recovering from that lost decade and sending Michigan in a different direction. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to include you that way. Uh, Zach, I, I want to ask you about uh, what Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky tweeted this week. He said, I'd venture to guess that any of the 800,000 Michiganders who lost their jobs under Governor Granholm would be a better choice for such a crucial position. A really, really awful uh, comment there. Uh, yeah. the, that lost decade that uh, Republicans in particular talk a lot about here in the state of Michigan. They lay all of that right at, at her feet. I think uh, a fairer assessment of that decade would take into account more of the the national uh, economic trends, especially at the end of her tenure. But uh, talk about the criticism of Granholm, not just from Republicans, but from lots of people who feel like her tenure as governor here really left us in a lurch. You know, it's so complicated. I, I've I've always thought that the, you know, laying the economic calamity that was that decade uh, and started before she became governor, uh, really started in 2001 in the final years of the Engler administration, uh, and is no more, certainly no more his fault than, than hers. Uh, it, you know, the auto industry, uh, you know, the bill came due for... Uh, decades of structural problems and structural change in the economy. And, uh, you know, I don't believe any governor, uh, Republican or Democrat, uh, Jim Blanchard, John Engler, Jennifer Granholm, Rick Snyder, Jennifer, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, George Romney, etc., could have uh, overcome what happened uh, to the auto industry in Michigan that decade, and, you know, to say that it was uh, Governor Granholm's fault that, hun- you know, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of jobs were shed is is unfair. I mean, I, I, it just is. Now, was her governorship, uh, you know, an unqualified success? Uh, no, it was not. Uh, you know, there were, you know, certainly mistakes uh, you know, took place. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't think we have time to relitigate the entire period from 2003 <laughs> to 2010. But, you know, I, I think if uh, Governor Granholm had it to do over again, she would not have started out her tenure uh, cutting higher education, mm-hmm. only to then, you know, have her administration propose that the state needed to, I think, double the number of college graduates within the coming years. I mean, there was sort of a, a herky jerkiness. Uh, to it. it. I think it took some time for her to really feel, you know, figure out what it was she wanted to do. I mean, again, you know, she started out by saying there was fat in higher education, cut university spending, and then said, well, wait a minute, we actually need to graduate more people from college. That, you know, that wasn't a great yeah. moment. Um, you know, there were, again, this was not her fault. 
in, you know, singularly, but um, you know, for the second half of her governorship, she did have a, a pretty sizable majority of Democrats running the House, yet there was this terribly dysfunctional relationship between uh, you know, her and uh, the Democratic speaker at the time and, and the Democratic House majority at the time. Again, not all her fault, but it is partially her fault, you know, that that, that just shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember... Uh, much more teamwork between her and the Democratic House at the time. Yeah. And I, I could go on, but I won't. Well, I mean, I can remember having arguments with her at the uh, at the time about the ways in which she was trying to corral the legislature. I mean, that, that you know, her, her complaint constantly was that Republicans in the Senate weren't cooperative or were obstructionist uh, and that uh, the Democratic majority in the House was, was not terribly cooperative either. And my position always was, look, you're the governor. No one elected you saying that you would have your way all the time with uh, with the legislative branch. Part of the job is figuring out how to get them to do what you want them to do. And I think she suffered partially on that front because she followed John Angler, who uh, who had, you know, uh, who had a majority in, in uh, the legislature for much of the time that he was in, in office, but he didn't when he was elected. And he figured out ways to get Democrats to do what he wanted them to do. Now, uh, you know, he was a pretty aggressive uh, governor and he, he understood uh, the, the kind of brute force uh, approach to, to getting people over to his side. That wasn't her way. But I don't know that it, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that it excused her from from doing more to try to figure out how to negotiate, uh, how to negotiate through those stalemates. And I, I think that is a lot of the, the criticism that she's faced, uh, you know, uh, since she's been gone. And, and to be fair, you know, Rick Snyder wasn't much better at that, uh, to, to be honest. I mean, he had he had. Uh, uh, control of both houses uh, and and could not often get the legislature to see things uh, his way. It is it is a it is a tough task. Um, okay, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. Belated birthday. Sorry, I missed it. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> but uh, I'd just like to say that uh, Granholm uh, is overall a good choice. Uh, there are no perfect choices. Uh, but uh, I say that uh, not only because of the things uh, she tried to advocate for the environment, but some of the people that she surrounded herself uh, with on her staff. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of uh, people like Karen Cavanaugh, who I had the pleasure of working with uh, who used to be on Marianne Mahaffey's staff, uh, who were strong uh, environmentalists, and and I hope she'll avail herself of uh, their talents uh, hmm. uh, in her new job. And nobody should blame her for the collapse of the auto industry. Anybody who was working in the plants during the mid and late 60s and early 70s could see the handwriting on the wall even then. Hmm. Uh, Gene, that's a really interesting assessment, especially about the people she surrounded herself with, uh, you know, reminding us uh, of some of the picks that, that she had and, and hoping that she'll be able to do that here. You know, Zach Gorchow, one of the things I've always thought about uh, Governor Granholm was that she, she was better, in my opinion, as 
attorney general in Michigan than she was as governor. And and the roles are really different, right? Uh, you, you don't have that legislative component. Uh, as attorney general, you have far more power to just run your department uh, the way you see fit. Uh, I, I think a lot of people who served under her in, in the AG's office would talk about how much vision she had. She is I think, you know, if you've ever seen her speak, if you ever talk to her about things, I mean, she's one of the most effective politicians at communicating that idea of vision. Uh, they might they might uh, criticize the ways she managed the office a, a, a little bit, but, but I always felt like she was more successful in a role like that than she was as executive. Well, I mean, I think, as I recall, one of the sort of famous comments Governor Granholm had as her tenure wound down, wound down, she was asked sort of like, when do you feel like, uh, I don't know, what's your, I don't know if it was the question was like, what's your favorite part of this job, or when do you think you're most effective? But it was something along the lines of basically me, you know, in a room making decisions. Hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of that, she always seemed to be at her best when she sort of got to play uh, you know, almost like I'm going to use the term commander in chief role, even though she's, you know, obviously not the president, but sort of that, you know, you know, I'm, you know, taking the leadership role and I can, you know, make a decision um, sort of in, that, that I don't have to build a big coalition on. Uh, she was quite good at that because she was a very effective speaker. Um, and, uh, Sort of like what you were pointing out when she was attorney general, that she, she had a fairly effective four-year period as attorney general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of her bigger successes as governor did come on the environment. Um, you know, the uh, water regulations, the Great Lakes Compact, um, these were areas where she was able to work uh, well with the legislature. And these are, uh, you know, significant pieces of law that have stood the test of time. Um, You know, a lot of times we see, you know, a a governor sign into law something and we think, wow, this is really big. And then like three years later, it's meaningless. Uh, These are these are things that have stood the test of time. And, you know, the difference, there's a huge difference between being the president or the governor and heading the department. Um, And, you know, clearly, you know, Jennifer Granholm has quite a bit of passion uh, on these issues. And, uh, she has certainly is a very good communicator. Um, you know, we'll see how she does in terms of, you know, I'm sure there will be times where she will be called to go into Congress to advocate for something. Um, and, you know, that's going to be a test for her because obviously the, we, you know, there's a very good chance that the U.S. Senate is still going to be controlled by the Republicans. Right, right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to continue this conversation about Jennifer Granholm and her supposed new role in in Washington. We're waiting to hear the official announcement of that. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about lame duck in Lansing and what might actually get done before legislators leave for the holiday. So far, pretty lackluster. Not a whole lot to brag about. Uh, Do we expect a strong finish from them in Lansing? We also want to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll get to you, Dan in Midtown, Louie and Jefferson Chalmers, John on the east side. If you want to join them, give us a call. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of the Gongwar News Service in Lansing. We're talking about Jennifer Granholm, the former governor here in the state of Michigan, who is expected to be tapped to be secretary of energy in the new administration of President-elect Joe Biden. What do you think of that pick? Uh, We had eight years of her leader. Her leadership in the governor's office here, we had four years of her as attorney general. Uh, Before that, she's a very, very familiar uh, figure on the political scene here in Michigan. Uh, She's also made quite a national name for herself since she left, namely as a commentator on CNN. Uh, Do you think she's the right person for this uh, job? Do you remember her tenure here as governor as effective or ineffective? Uh, and what do you think that she might be able to accomplish as part of this team that uh, Joe Biden seems to be putting together that is going to be really focused on energy and climate change in particular? Uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll work them into the conversation. Mickey on Twitter says, seems like Biden is looking at a team approach to the environment and energy will be a piece of the puzzle. John Kerry, who has been named uh, climate envoy, is going to be the lead player with energy DOT plus the first domestic administrator for climate issues. Uh, Lopez on Twitter says, I think he's doing exactly what everyone knew he was going to do by sticking with establishment Dems and icing out the progressive wing of the party. Uh, Lopez, I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, I think uh, when it comes to climate issues and energy and kind of things, uh, Jennifer Granholm sits pretty far left uh, on on the, the spectrum. Uh, I, I, maybe you could uh, tweet back and let us know who you might uh, who you might uh, suggest uh, for that role. Who would be more progressive? I'd love to hear that. Uh, let's go to Dan in Midtown. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, so I'm less concerned with Granholm's sort of agency as a political actor, and more concerned with how the system tends to reestablish itself. It's funny how both Snyder, uh, Rick Snyder, and Granholm endorse Biden. Uh, but there seems to be these general structural links between the capitalists and those who manage the state apparatus. And, um, you know, it, 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 those who uh, uh, you don't need to be a member of the ruling class to represent it politically. And when there are no ruling class individuals around, you'll often have people who will eagerly fill those roles. And my, my complaint with Granholm in particular is mm-hmm. I remember being at the CNN debate in July here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And the panel was Granholm, Terry McAuliffe, Van Jones and Aaron Burnett. And I remember saying, look. All these people represent the Biden wing of the Democratic Party, and they're your political commentators. And now Granholm has been made energy secretary uh, by Biden. And so I just see that as being a conflict of interest in so, the media. So, Dan, tell me who – give me some names of people you would rather see in that role. I mean, people who, who would represent more of, of what you, you feel like uh, needs to be done. 
Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't give a name particularly, I can't think of anybody, but I would say somebody along the lines of um, that Sunrise Movement, what they were advocating, which is sort of uh, getting corporate influence out of politics, I think, mm. as long as corporate influence, you know, the, the, it's usually the people who give money to the campaigns who are the ones that, uh, those are the policies that are made. And so I would hopefully find somebody who, um, so what do you? It would have to be Dan, a whole structural change. It's not just the one person that yeah. they put in. No, it I hear to be you. A whole structural change, right? Uh, but but what, I also wonder what you make of the Green New Deal and the number of people inside the Democratic Party and its establishment who are either all in support of that or largely in support of it. Do you not see the Biden administration at least heading in that direction? I, I don't think it matters, Stephen, because I look at who funds the campaigns. And if the people who fund the campaigns are the corporations and the billionaires, yeah. I think their policy interests will be represented, not the grassroots Green New Dealers. I think that's historically what has happened. Yeah. So I don't see us making any radical changes. Yeah, Dan, no, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments. I mean, I, you don't have to, to convince me about the money and politics and and the ways in which we need to make sure that uh, money doesn't influence politics to the extent it does. I mean, the, the equation of money to speech uh, by the Supreme Court, I think, is is what is driving that and has damaged uh, the political system uh, quite profoundly uh, over the last uh, over the last couple of, of decades, really, uh, but I appreciate the call and and the comments, Dan. Thank you very much. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I'll start off by uh, many of our former governors leave a bad taste in my mouth, especially the last ones. So I, I don't see as many things with her, but uh, there there are some that pop up occasionally. What I want to put out there is uh, just like Barack Obama really had challenges with racial uh, overtones, I wonder how much her gender had to do with dealing with a bunch of balding, gray-haired white men in <laughs> legislature. Yeah, well, That's an interesting question, John, especially uh, given who's governor right now and the trouble that she's having with, uh, with, the, with the legislature. Zach Gorchow... I wonder what you make of the gender dynamic with both Granholm and Whitmer. Well, I think there's no question that they've had to deal with sexism. I mean, I, I just don't think it's just yeah. not disputable. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Jennifer Granholm in her first term had a pretty cooperative Republican leadership component in the legislature. It's not that they didn't disagree. It's not that they didn't butt heads or have disagreements but there there was a, it was a fairly cooperative group uh you know it, it worked out all right and weirdly it was sort of when, when she got a democratic house things maybe got worse mm. <laughs> um but then she also had you know this you know very toxic relationship with the senate majority leader at the time uh mike bishop yeah. who uh, i think tweeted upon news of her uh pending nomination as energy secretary, you know, 
something about being blown away, which, of course, is the <laughs> infamous line <laughs> from her State of the State speech that in five years we would be blown away by Michigan's economy. Um, so, you know, there's no love lost there. They, they just it was just a terrible relationship, and I never thought it would get it could be worse. But uh, the relationship between Governor Whitmer and Senate Majority Leader Shirky is is definitely worse, unfortunately. Sure. Um, so you know, it just you know, I there were it, it was a combination. You know, I I hesitate to say that it was you know mainly sexism. Uh, you know, I think there were some legitimate major policy disagreements. I mean, Jennifer Granholm in her second term uh, proposed uh, an income tax increase and a sales tax on services. And, Mm -hmm. you know, look, you know, Republicans are the party of less government and smaller taxes. And, you know, it was no surprise, uh, nor, you know, do I think that they should be just, you know, condemned for taking the position that they were opposed to those things. Um, You know, ultimately, the governor was able to get through an income tax increase, and Mike Bishop did allow a vote on it uh, that a few Republicans in his caucus supported. Um, uh, you know, but it was it was difficult getting there. I think, you know, my impression is that Governor Whitmer has it a lot worse uh, in terms of you know the sexism front uh, than. Than Governor Granholm. Yeah, did. I think the the, um, the climate right now is is really different than it was when uh, yeah. Governor Granholm was here, and and it encourages uh, a lot more of that kind of uh, of response, or at least excuses it. It doesn't it doesn't uh, push back hard enough against it. Um, Zach, I want to change the subject just a little and talk about what is happening over the next week in Lansing. You know, we're used to lame duck sessions that are kind of blizzards of controversial bills soaring through with uh, little transparency in the middle of the night. We aren't seeing that this year, partially because we've got a split, right, between the executive branch and the legislature. But but, uh, there have also been some other things that have hamstrung in the efforts to make this even a productive uh, lame duck session. Uh, Talk about what we might see, though, in the next week as they wrap up uh, before the holiday. Well, yeah, it, it definitely is more limited, um, but uh, there are there are some notable things uh, that have happened. I think the the biggest one is the uh, passage of the mechanism to pay out the uh, settlement in the Flint water lawsuits, mm-hmm. uh, six hundred million dollars. Um, that is on its way to the governor's desk after action yesterday. That 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 to me is is really the big item. Um, I think, you know, for as much as these last two years have, have gotten a lot of criticism for the acrimony, uh, you know, one thing that I think has been overlooked is that this will, will go down as, I think, a historic term on criminal justice uh, laws. I mean, I, I can't even, we don't have time to recount the number of major uh, fundamental changes in statute that have been passed and signed into law, and we've got more of those on the way. Um, uh, things allowing people to have uh, convictions set aside after a period of time so that they don't have to you know, put that on a job application. Mm. Um, uh, people who have you know, a single drunk driving offense that, you know, where no one was hurt uh, would be able to have that wiped from their record after mm-hmm. a period of time and if there's no other problems. That's a, a big deal. That yes. affects a lot, you know, a lot of people. Um, you know, we have uh, bills that uh, dealing with the pandemic, um, 
not so much dealing with the public health component, but the repercussions of the pandemic uh, in terms of how long you have to be, you would have to be quarantined uh, if you have been exposed to it as a, as an, as a worker, uh, letting governments continue to meet electronically, uh, things of that nature. Uh, there will be a, um, it looks like a, something on the order of a $300 million supplemental appropriations bill that we don't know the details yet, but is supposed to provide some measure of relief to uh, businesses that have been really hurt by the pandemic. I think likely to see something helping restaurants in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, although it looks like it's it's going to be a, a bit of a mess, but um, you know, one of the biggest uh, court rulings we've seen in the last decade was the federal court striking down uh, the, the guts of our Sex Offender Registration Act that requires people convicted of a sex crime to uh, be publicly registered and have great limitations placed on their movement. Right. Um, the judge has really sort of pleaded with the legislature to replace this as opposed to having a court uh, prescribe remedy. There is a bill that is going to be, I, I think, on its way to the governor's desk designed to deal with this, but the ACLU, which has been championing the lawsuit that led to this legislation, is opposed to it. So this may end up uh, all for naught, but it, it's certainly a very significant development. So those, those are sort of my, my big five right now. But uh, you're right, because of divided government, we're not going to have that sort of classic lame duck where the last day of session at 2 in the morning, uh, a bill comes out of nowhere and gets totally rewritten and sent to the governor's desk and signed to the law without anyone having a chance to really read it, that that's, that's not going to happen this time. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about is Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who yesterday said she is not going to participate in the House oversight hearings about the election. She says the committee has served as a platform for these conspiracy theories about debunked claims of widespread voter fraud. So uh, uh, a government official, an elected official in a different branch of government says they will not appear before the legislature. That doesn't happen a whole lot here in Michigan. What's the fallout from that? You know, I don't know. I, I suspect, well, I think the first thing we're going to see is, does the legislature uh, subpoena her? Well, the House Oversight Committee in particular, do they subpoena her and try to require her to appear? And does this create some type of a, a legal showdown? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're right. It's very rare for um, uh, someone at that, you know, a department head to refuse to appear before a legislative committee uh, there certainly have been contentious relationships between department directors and legislative committees, for sure. Um, so this isn't new from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, I think it seems like after the infamous Rudy Giuliani hearing that the <laughs> House Oversight Committee held, that I think probably Jocelyn Benson is seeing like, I, you know, probably thinks she's going to get used as a, a prop and is just going to be, you know, you know, pounded upon uh, or having to try to explain some of these, you know, rampant false allegations. Um, you know, we'll see. I, 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 we'll see if she, you know, who, we'll see if maybe she goes to a committee next time. I mean, it, it's, I think it's pretty difficult as if you're the Secretary of State or the 
attorney general or a department director, you, you can't avoid testifying before a committee forever. Mm-hmm. So maybe it doesn't end up being before the House Oversight Committee, but um, you know, at some point, I have to think Secretary Benson is going to end up before a committee of the legislature, and, and the questions, some of the questions that Republicans would like to ask her are going to get asked. It may just not be in front of House Oversight. You know, maybe she'd rather appear before the, and I don't know this, I'm just speculating. Maybe she'd rather go before, you know, the House Elections Committee, right. where you have, you know, Representative Julie Kelly, uh, at least this term, as the chair of the committee, and that has, that's been a, a fairly bipartisan committee, on, you know, whereas House Oversight, where you have Matt Hall, really, really public, ardent supporter of President Trump, uh, you know, I think folks would say that committee has had a, a bit of a more partisan edge than House elections. Maybe, it, maybe it's the venue, um, or maybe she tries to avoid it altogether. I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Okay. Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of Gongor News Service in Lansing. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you very much for being here today. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about holiday shopping during the pandemic, weighing the economic and public health implications, and how much has it changed your habits? How much has it changed what you're doing with or for your family this holiday season? Give us a call and let us know. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today. 